1: I'm Billy Munger and I'm Johnny Herbert and welcome back to lift the lid the podcast that takes you flat out around the world of Formula One we hope
2: you enjoyed our journey into the past in the last episode if you didn't catch it make sure you go back and have a listen to the story of my life-changing crash at Brands hatch back in 1988
1: yeah we went on a real journey johnny back at brands and the second part of our crash special will be on its way shortly but for now you've been getting in touch with your questions so here we go again then it's time to open up our team radio as we lift the lid so johnny brands hatch that was an interesting day wasn't it mate it was good to see you in the flesh and do a podcast live at the circuit how did you find it mate
2: yeah it was well, as you just said it was good to actually be face to face for a change and it was good it was Brands Hatch, to be honest, because we both had, you know, sort of very early careers uh racing around that circuit. And of course with me uh with that crash I had back in nineteen eighty eight. So it was good to go back and she i have to say, Brands Hatch was looking in, in fine fettle
1: Very good condition, it was. wasn't she? Yeah, and being out on the back of the, the circuit, the G P part of the circuit, I absolutely love that circuit. Yeah, I and mean, you know. As yeah. much as, you know, there was um a lot to reflect on. Good to go back. Yeah, it made me want to get in the car and drive around it. That's what it made me want to do. It made me want to get back behind the wheel myself. I don't know about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As always, as it always does, which was brilliant. Yeah, no, it was a me- mega day. Johnny, before we get stuck into our questions, we wanted to thank everyone who has contacted us on our social channels about the brand Hatch episode, mate. Because it? we've had a lot of messages and we appreciate them all. But one that I want to give a particular shout out to is Andrew Carey, who's been in touch via Instagram. Yeah, and uh, Andrew, he basically got in touch with us, and he said that he was one of the marshals that were on site straight after your crash. So he was saying that he was, you were coming out with all sorts of wild things when the pain relief was kicking in. And then it turns out that Andrew also went on to be a sound engineer who worked with you at Sky in 2012. So... Talk about a small world, mate. You know, yeah. it turns out that our podcast and the listeners, you know, they're really in touch with your journey.
2: Yeah, very much so. With Andrew especially, because there's a picture you can see with my legs hanging out the front, and there's a couple of marshals um, and sort of medical people around the car. And it is actually Andrew's got a red cap. If you're going and sort of searching yeah. for it, he's got a red cap, some wet boots, an orange overall. And he's the one who's actually looks as I think he's holding the mask on my face. Yeah, he's giving you the good stuff mate. Yes, well by the sound of it, yes he's giving me some very (laughs) good stuff. I am completely blank with anything that came out of my mouth but I would imagine in my normal sort of Herbert manner, it was probably a lot of garbage. I can feel
1: a guest appearance coming on mate with getting Andrew on the podcast to find out what was said. Good (laughs) idea, I think that'd be really good. Thank you Andrew, really really nice of you
2: to, to get back in touch again and I'm sure we're we try and meet up sometimes soon with a bit of luck. Yeah, short, definitely. So.
1: Good memories, not good memories, not, not good, good memories. memories, but good people <laughs> around you at that time. So yeah, great to have Andrew in touch with us, and and talking about people that have been in touch yeah. with us, Johnny. Off the back of that last podcast, our top question this week comes from a big celebrity listener that we have got on the podcast, which is just mega i mean i was absolutely buzzing to find out that he loves listening to the podcast and it turns out to be none other than the two-time heavyweight world champion anthony joshua and he sent us this in what's happening guys i hope you're well lift the lid is my favorite podcast 100 but i want to know out of all you f1 drivers
2: who could be the number one boxer if you had the chance i can't wait to hear this
1: so, what do you think about that, Johnny? He's asked, out of all the F1 drivers, who would be the best boxer? I mean, he's really flipped the lid on things when it comes to that question, made us think about boxing now.
2: Yes, yeah, he yeah, Well, again, again, I like my boxing. I think you like your boxing as well. Do so yeah. I have a question from the heavyweight champion, the ex heavyweight champion of the world, Anthony Josh? And Bruce Buffer, <laughs> hear your heart out. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's absolutely brilliant. But a, a driver, a boxer, I'll tell you what, you've got to be you've got to be sort of fairly well built, I think, first of all. I think you've got to be smart as well when you're because and I'm gonna go for for someone who was who was very smart when he was in the car. He was very much vocal when he needed to be, with other drivers or with with officials sometimes. And I think he's got the right build. He's quite he's quite broad, quite tall. I'm gonna go for the nineteen ninety-two world champion nigel mansell nigel mansell okay that's a good
1: shout i think nigel would be pretty difficult in a boxing room that's a, that's a good shout johnny i mean initially i was kind of more thinking about the current grid but you've opened it up there with that suggestion you yeah. know I think throwing it back a little bit if i was yeah. see if i was going for the, who i think you know is potentially the most aggressive you've got you know your your bold champions like your Schumachers. And your centers, I think they've got the right level of aggression to be a boxer. Yeah. Uh, If I was going for someone, you know, a little bit taller, a bit of a reach, then you'd be thinking maybe of like a I don't know a Jensen Button or an Estar Nocon was the current driver. I was kind of thinking, you know, he could be he could jab his way through a fight potentially.
2: I'm only thinking heavyweight. None of
1: the F1 drivers are heavyweights, mate. If they are. The teams will be telling them to shift some weights so they can go faster. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. So, with all those things considered, I think the one driver in the current grid that stands out to me that would be a good boxer, purely because of his fighting spirit, his aggression, I'm going Fernando Alonso. Yeah, I'd have to go to the i I'm chucking Alonso in there. That (laughs) is... For me, I think I could see him really, you know, throwing some hands and getting right involved, like a Mike Tyson sort of fighter.
2: Yeah, I, I think I'd probably have to agree. I think you might say Max as well.
1: Yeah, Max, a good shout. But I think George.
2: I think even George again because he's intelligent. He'd think about it. He'd analyze it. He'd try and work out
1: what he needs to. What I can't. See, to. I can't see that with George, mate. I think he. I don't know. I can't see him wanting to get in the ring and get right involved no, i'm just trying to go out of the box just with how he thinks he's almost too smart i reckon i feel like with a boxer, you kind of have to have that element where you can switch your brain off and just get right involved i think george would be you know maybe overthinking things a bit yeah that?
2: yeah right cancel george yeah i think you're right <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well that is that's a really interesting thought i can honestly say with all my time of watching formula one i've never looked at it and thought Who would be best in the boxing ring? So thanks, Anthony Joshua, for that question. thank you for that. Brilliant question. Great (laughs) to have you involved in the podcast. Well, ding, ding. What we've got coming up next then, mate? Obviously, the AJ question has led us into boxing, but I guess we should get back onto the Formula 1 side of things. I think so. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, is there an ideal or maximum number of cars on the grid, especially considering qualifying on some of the shorter courses? And that comes from
1: Ollie. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I think... You know, if you take cars away from the grid just for the fact that, you know, some of the circuits are a bit shorter for qualifying and, you know, that to me doesn't make sense because you have a lot of circuits where you want more cars in the mix. So I think 20 is what we're currently at. I think that sort of for me is the the minimum I'd like to see. I wouldn't want to see anything less than 20 off cars on the grid maybe we go back to days where there's you know 11 12 teams so you get up to 24 but i think that would be probably the maximum as well with some of the tight circuits that we have nowadays unless you kind of change the format and qualifying slightly or something like that send them out in groups
2: yeah i would agree with a minimum 20 i think that looks that looks good when you're watching it sort of at the the start of a race you know i come from an era of where it was 26 cars that were on the grid. And there are issues sometimes. There are those. If you want to say considerations. Because of qualifying at Monaco. For example. When you've got 26 cars. Trying to find a slot. But I always remember Billy. I always remember James Hunt. Telling me. It is up to you. And this is before GPS. And everything. All the information they have nowadays. You basically just had the timing screen. And the car's going past. And he said it is up to you and your engineer to find that gap. And that, that was absolutely right. You know, you it's had true. to analyze, yeah, what was going on without all the information I said they have nowadays. But that was part of the skill, part of the enjoyment. And sometimes it worked for you. and Sometimes it worked against you, as in you, you got in traffic. But over a season, it sort of pretty much balanced itself out. And I sometimes I get a bit annoyed nowadays where a driver says, I've got the God-given right to have a clear lap. And I sort of go, well, you don't, because there's all the other guys trying to do the best lap that they possibly can. So even when it was 26 cars, Billy, it was a massive challenge, and I enjoyed, actually, that challenge. So I'll probably go back. I'd like to see 26,
1: actually, again. Okay. Maybe more than that. <laughs> yeah, then it could get a bit bit dicey. I'm thinking of a Monaco qualifying lap, you know. That there'd be pretty much no circuit you could put your car on where you wouldn't be in the way if probably more than... 26 cars on the grid i mean monaco in other series they have tried you know group qualifyings and sending them out you know a certain section to set a lap time yeah. and others but i don't think we want to be messing around with formats too much in formula no. i think what we've got right now is is good so 26 cars ollie that's what we're saying is kind of our rough guess is a maximum yeah. uh, and he's actually ollie's got a follow-up question to that first part and it says are there any companies or constructors you'd like to see entering into Formula 1? Right. So that's off the back of that yeah. first first part of the question. Yep. I mean we've got Audi coming in Johnny, haven't right. we?
2: Yeah, indeed. Yeah, we've had Porsche in the past, BMW in the past, sort of um you know Honda as a works team in the past. So so we've had a lot of good you know constructors, you know, involved
1: in it and they've sort of some of some are still there, some of some have left. Any of them standing out to you? About who would you'd like to see back in the sport? Well,
2: actually, well, well, it's not particularly maybe who I'd like back. It'd be someone, someone new. Okay. Like
1: someone like uh,
2: I don't know, like Kia or something like Hyundai. Something different, something
1: fresh. Something I can from see a that. different part of the world. I can see that. Yeah, something a bit different. Maybe like a Cadillac. A Cadillacs jumping out to me. Cadillac,
2: good one. Like it, like it. Yeah, something, something uh, yeah. like that. Something has got a, has got a bit of a racing heritage. If you do Cadillac. But uh, the name, you know, has been around for such a a long, long time. So I'd probably go somewhere where it's something new, something that we've never seen before.
1: What about any independent teams? Do you think we're likely to see any more independent teams on the grid anytime soon? You know, you've got like the likes of Haas and and teams like that. Do you think it's all realistically going to be manufacturers that you know get the green lights coming into Formula One now
2: yeah I, I don't know about you Billy but in some ways I hope not you know we we saw the the Jordan Grand Prix team coming to coming to Formula One and it was lovely having it. Eddie and his, his his band of merry men who were really <laughs> enjoyable to to support but to actually see on, on the on the TV as well and on the grid so so he's, I think it would be nice to still have those teams Pacific, another team. I remember when Bertrand and Stefan Johansson were with that, uh, with Keith Wiggins. So there's, there's, you know, we've had them before and it would be a shame if there, there never was an opportunity for them to sort of come on board. Because so, I think it's nice to have the manufacturers, absolutely. But it's lovely to have those sort of teams that that still have the hunger to try and challenge those those big manufacturers
1: yeah i completely agree it's nice to have a bit of a mix between manufacturers and independent teams fighting their corner what else we got here we got a question here from sarah mate we've and it says did you listen to any music before getting into the car before racing and if so what music did you listen to that's from sarah
2: yeah and sarah i wasn't a great listener of music, I have to say, before I got into the car, very few times I think did I actually listen to music. If I did do it, I'd do something that was a little bit upbeat, a little bit of yeah, yeah. get ready to the build up. So I'd
1: probably a bit of rocky music, a
2: bit of rock. There you go. I'd have a little bit of rock, a <laughs> bit of uh, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, or something like
1: that, or uh, the Who. I won't. Lie. I have yeah. no idea who my that little... is. Oh damn it! I'm showing my age again.
2: And <laughs> you you gonna, have to get I'm you have to play saying.
1: it for me sometime oh
2: okay well uh who else could i do who else could i sort of pink floyd yeah i've heard of pink floyd
1: yeah i've heard of pink floyd now there you go i'll see me pink floyd as well then so there you go see so, yeah, i used to have one particularly in the car thing days i like kind of when i got into car racing i kind of stopped listening to music as much before but i used mm. to listen to a particular song by green day i used to listen to american idiot and it's like a uh, yeah, it's a song called American Idiot by Grindad. It basically you just sit there, just like you say, rock music, just head head going like back and forth and just me and my dad sort of jamming out to that and then I'd jump in a go kart and just go if it was a big race and go out there and see what I could do. So yeah, I reckon uh that, that would be my one.
2: Yeah. I remember I remember Jason Plato, I think when we raced at uh, Clay Pigeon down in Dorset, I think he went away on the Saturday night to listen to go, to go to a a rhythmic's uh, show, well, I think that was so. He was more down that sort of the rhythmic sort of type of music. Remember, he went off with his uh, with his dad. I think it was.
1: Yeah, I wonder what the current F1 drivers listen to. I reckon some of them have got to listen to music. I reckon it's going to be like a lot of sort of potential rap music, Drake and people like that. Yeah, I reckon that's kind of the vibe I'm getting.
2: Yeah, when you watch the head movements, I have to agree. It does seem a bit rappy.
1: Yeah, uh, there's going to be some there's going to be some quirky ones in there though, isn't there? There's going to be someone on the grid that listens to something that they it. don't want anyone knowing
2: about. Sure, there is. Yeah, but I didn't do very often. Didn't do very often, Sarah. Unfortunately. Uh, next one, right? Favorite
1: race weekend and why? And that comes from Charles. Favorite race weekend in terms of the Formula One calendar. Yep. Uh, I loved Australia at the start of the season obviously because it is the first race of the season you know it's a it's a cool place in general and it's nice to kick off an f1 season with that sort of weekend i think the fans are mega i think we normally get some good action you yeah. know and it's a nice part of the world to to be it for the start of the the f1 calendar so i'd probably say australia for me is one of my favorites uh in the season
2: yeah. well i probably have to agree but I'm actually going to throw another one out there because I like Baku. Baku, okay. I love the racetrack because it always seems to sort of turn up something in the in the uh, in the in the race itself. But I like Baku itself. Yeah, you go from the paddock, you can normally walk to your hotel, which is really really nice. And then you can have a 25p kebab,
1: <laughs> or you can have a 50 pound kebab. Basically, anywhere of a kebab, and you're happy, mate.
2: Yeah, I'm pretty much happy with a kebab. <laughs> and, that's the and it's a lovely city.
1: Yeah, no, it is a nice city. It it doesn't get the credit.
2: No, it doesn't. No, I don't know why. It's not, and the drivers. I think like the track actually. So yeah, I like the track, that's normally a good start. Me driving from a from a race weekend, and no, I could, and I like the challenge of it. And I think that was really, I got a real buzz by driving around it, and that was Monaco. Okay. I know it's the most painful one. For, yeah, to logistically to get everything in, everything set up. Then clear it all up and then get it all out. So I know logistics are very, very difficult. We can get them from the hotel into the into the paddock. Sometimes can be a real, a real pain. But but as a as, as a yeah. buzz, as a buzz, qualifying was by far the best circuit for for that qualifying session. Race was a bit frustrating, but of course it again it was still the challenge of keeping yourself without claming, you know, smashing yourself into the barrier. And that was again was the challenge. Why not yeah. like a challenge of what Marco was could give a driver?
1: Yeah, I think for me as well, street circuits just bring out a different level in you as a driver, don't they? It's just you know the fact you know if you make a mistake, you haven't got grass runoff no. or you know gravel, you're into a barrier and that's your race over more than likely. I think yeah, when it comes from a driver's point of view, from a chat and from a challenge side of things, you can't beat a street circuits. So you know, Monaco is always going to be up there, but obviously Baku is you know. Yeah. And that has an element of being a street circuit as well, that in its nature. So, you know, there's, I think that's probably a reason why Baku's been quite a success because it's got a bit of everything. Yeah. It's got the high speed final sector and the long straight for overtaking, but it's got that tight technical middle sector as well. Yeah.
2: So the street circuit is always, what an outside F1, probably Macau. Yeah. What a brilliant circuit that is. It's a, it's a long, a long lap to start with, but I, I can't remember how many co- corners there are, but there are a mammoth amount of corners to so sort of try and learn it in a very short space of time before you actually get out there for qualifying but when you get it right it's brilliant so Macau is another one but of course that's something that will never see an F1 race that's for sure
1: that is not capable of having a Formula <laughs> 1 cars fly around it because that is it's ballsy to say the least right now with Formula 3 cars going yeah. around it let alone Formula 1 cars that would be one hell of a lap in a Formula 1 car got to say <laughs> That's it for that first part. There were some mega questions there, and uh, we'll have more of your questions coming up in just a second.
0: Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you.
2: Do you want to lead the way? Well, we'll do this one here, because I know it's been sort of uh, something that's been spoken about a lot. So Max Verstappen uh, has given quotes this week in Auto Sports saying he will quit F1 if the organizers continue to mess with the weekend format at court. Cricket, that's where that comes from. He's asked us to discuss that topic. The basis to sprint races, isn't it?
1: Yeah. That was where all the controversies come around, doesn't it, mate?
2: Yeah, exactly. And I like them because it makes the weekend different. I like them because it sort of now yeah. and again spices up actually the Sunday, the Sunday Grand Prix itself. And I don't see what the problem is. I know I know they don't work everywhere we go to, but not does every Grand Prix we go to work perfectly. Like a football match. Very, 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 very similar. I didn't always have a cracking football man. Yeah. Some of them are very, very boring. So I don't know. I think it's had something slightly different. To what we've seen in the past, personally, it's a different challenge from what you've got to do on that Saturday. But as I said, it does actually ch- change what potentially can happen on a on a on a Sunday. And I think the, the thing I like about it, Billy, I think is it does give a chance to maybe the, the the teams or drivers that maybe would
1: never have a chance of actually sort of
2: having a good
1: yeah a, a good a good a good race. Although saying that, mate. Just to give a bit of a different perspective on that, you know, in Brazil last year, when Kevin Magnussen stuck it, you yeah. know, right up the sharp end of the grid, that sprint race was then a chance for cars to get back into a more of a normal order, and then he started the Grand Prix sort of just on you know the edge of the points, and and ended up not scoring. So you know, you would have thought if that was the grid for a Sunday and he was off the front row, um, well, actually off pole position, yeah. but you know, right up the sharp end, then he would have been on potentially for some some better a better opportunity of points so in that context there's you know the element of if he'd nailed the qualifying like he did should he have been rewarded by starting the, the grand prix on sunday up the sharp end so yeah i guess it can go both ways to a certain extent in terms of you know it can mix it up but also it can you know if, if some of the bigger teams have made a mistake on a saturday it can you know it can change the way that the grand prix set up looks on the sunday yeah. with a chance to, for them to get back up the order so it does go both ways i i do kind of get where max Verstappen is coming from on this in terms of then more i guess the overall feel of the need to change a lot of stuff in formula 1 all the time to tweak this to tweak that it it does feel like what we've got now and the format we've got with a few sprint races added in there Why do we need to be thinking about changing that? Because I think what we've got right now is a product, you know, in in Formula One. It's the fans are loving it. So I think what the impression I get from Max Verstappen and the quotes that he's come out with saying is that he you know, doesn't really want things to be tweaked just for the show. To a certain extent, he wants, you know, there's still to be that classic qualifying. If you're uh, fastest on a Saturday, you start the Grand Prix on Sunday from Pearl. I think you can get a little bit of a mix up in there with a few sprint races, but I do think you have to be careful in the bigger picture of not making it, you know, adding too many sprint races or, yeah. you know, or changing and tweaking it too much. Yeah.
2: yeah. I, again, I, I see that side and I understand that side to is it. Is it something you'd want to quit over? Probably not really.
1: No, I don't think he's going to be quitting over it. I think he's just making it clear he doesn't like it, does he? He
2: was definitely making it clear. Definitely, I know the teams don't like it as well because obviously it's an extra race that they don't they they find is probably a bit of an irritation because the main race for them yeah. is Sunday, so they don't want something else. So there's a s extra risk factor, and there is a, there is an element of risk. But then I always think, well, there's a risk on Sunday. So that's part yeah. and part of it Yeah I, I get it But there is there is a positive There is a negative I suppose we're just going to have to wait And see exactly how the the next year or two How it all pans out I suppose And then we'll make a proper decision From that point of view But I just like it I like something that's a little bit different Personally
1: Yeah No I think there's a, I think there's a, a healthy balance in there um, But yeah Just something to, to pay attention to Yeah. We've got another question in from Darren here, and that is that uh, basically asking, can we explain what a driver has to do in a pit stop? So what the driver's role is. So, Johnny, do you want to fire away here, mate? I can do that one. Uh, Yeah, coming to the pit stop, you stop on your spot, you don't stall it, and then you pull away. It is as simple as that really, isn't it, mate?
2: (laughs) Yes, there is not much that a driver has to do other than hit his spot, pulling the clutch, Obviously, wait for those uh, very quick pit stops to to happen in sort of two seconds or thereabouts. Um, And then leave as quickly as you can without getting too much wheel spin and getting as much drive as you can to not lose time. But the pit stop is probably a small element of the pit stop lap because obviously your in lap and your out lap is very important as well. And that's something that probably the drivers work on most is making sure that they don't lose time on that in an out lap, but the actual pit stop itself is fairly, fairly straightforward. I suppose you've got enough people there and enough technology allowing you to sort of stop exactly where you need to stop. I and mean, it's very rare that anybody misses their, their marker. Um, but um, it's it's like anything. When you're on the track, your concentration's massively high. When you do a pit stop, your concentration is. Is pretty much as as right as 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 high as it can be. So you're really buzzing when you're doing those pit stops. So, but it's just concentration. That's all it is. Just making sure you hit your marks.
1: Simple as that, mate. Simple as that. Yes, exactly.
2: Right. Uh, next one has been interesting. One. If you've got got something with this one, uh, what was the worst bit of advice you were given in your career?
1: That's from Daniel. Um, I guess for me it would probably there's no one particular thing that's standing out but i guess a few occasions people were telling me to i guess be realistic was kind of a a couple of words that we used a few times and i think that's because you know formula one it's so hard to get to in terms of you know the cost of getting there financially and i didn't at the time when i was in go-karts even when i was winning british championships saying i wanted to be a formula one driver you know there were people kind of saying yeah we'll be be realistic you know like it costs a a ton to get there but I think those two words can basically be taken as oh don't bother trying yeah, sort of exactly. thing which is something that I was glad that I didn't listen to because there's only one way to find out in in the world of sport and you've just got to give it your best shot yeah. so yeah that would probably be mine
2: yeah And I, I it's weird isn't it Where you do get people you're right that sort of say yeah be realistic and you sort of go well I'm being realistic because you don't know you never know. Yeah. You've got to give it your absolute all. But having some negative thing of, well, I may not make it, that's not that's not the right mentality to take into the cockpit as well. I suppose no. that's what people maybe don't fully understand what we've got to take into the cockpit to try and get the best out of ourselves to give us the best possible uh, result at the end of the day, which is obviously trying to get ourselves into Formula 1. But but I think as we both know, Billy, there is, there is the Formula 1 bubble But there is a sports car bubble, there is a Formula E bubble, there is an American bubble. So there are other options. But of course, our main goal is always to get get a seat in Formula 1. So there's only those 20 seats at the moment. And that does make it, you know, that little bit more difficult, I suppose, compared to when I had 26 cars. But there actually were about 28 to 30 cars actually available for drivers. So yeah, I think it's just keeping positive.
1: Yeah there was no one in particular that said anything during your career that influenced you in a, in a way that was negative or anything? mate.
2: Negative way. Yes, there was, because there was a, was a time when it was when I was a Lotus actually, and I did a long term contract and I convinced myself to do it. (laughs) I should not have listened to Johnny Herbert saying, sign this contract. (laughs) So that was probably the worst, the worst thing I did. I was, There was a bit of pressure, but there was, at that particular point, there wasn't another avenue for me to go. So I was looking, there's no avenue for me to go. This is the best time to sort of try and lock myself in. But when I lock myself in, into into Lotus, there was never a get out of jail clause. There wasn't a performance
1: clause. Yeah. Like that. That Which most of the drivers have nowadays.
2: That was the mistake. And that's why nowadays, you're right, Billy, everybody has a sort of a, um, a performance clause. And that was the one thing that I probably should have been more more on top of. So I listened to myself and that was a bad call. It sort of worked out in the end because Lotus stopped racing at the end of, uh, of 94 anyway. And then Tom Walkinshaw came in when the receivers were there. Awful situation. The receivers were at Lotus in Monza, I think it was, in Portugal when we went there. And Tom got me out, and then I joined uh, the Benetton team for the last last couple of races, replacing uh, Jos Verstappen.
1: Jos Verstappen. So you know Verstappen's well from back mm-hmm. in the day, mate. Indeed I do. Indeed I do. So yeah, so this, <laughs> myself, <laughs> was the worst advice. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting to hear that, mate, but you know, fair enough. Honesty is the best policy.
2: Yeah. Okay, so next one, and this is from Will. Uh, what is the most terrifying bit of race Terrifying bit of race. I don't. I don't know you. That's I never, a bit of a weird question
1: for a racing driver, isn't it? Yes,
2: it is because we are wired in a particular way.
1: Terrified. I don't. I don't ever remember. It's more being. thrilling than terrifying.
2: Yes. Yeah. It? It's the thrill. It's the. The buzz that you get from getting in the cockpit.
1: Terrifying for me is being sat at home watching a horror <laughs> film or something like that. That's more terrifying than anything in the world of Formula 1.
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's funny. We have... There is, I don't think I remember any moment. Even when I had my, my crash at Brands Hatch, I still never... I was never terrified before it, and I was never terrified no. after it. And I wasn't terrified during it. <laughs> no. Either. Yeah. So, no, ter- being terrified never was thought process because it was the like you said billy it was the buzz we got from driving yeah the car.
1: just that just one thing to think about i think terrifying like we, we kind of have said there is probably the wrong word for it but were there any things in particular ways whilst you were in a race that may that sort of sketched you out a bit i'm thinking here from from me like in terms of maybe other drivers that are a little bit you know unaware of their surroundings so to say when you were racing them going wheel to did you ever have that moment coming up to the back of a driver where you were like, oh, I'm not too sure about what he's going to he? do here, where he's a bit unpredictable and that could maybe make you think twice? No,
2: it did it again, because I already knew that going into the race anyway. And if I was ever going to meet him yeah. and I'd met him in other races, probably beforehand, and even if it was the first time I met him on the track, I was aware of what they were like. So just yeah. be a little bit more reserved and try and work out what his lines are, or where he's good and where he's bad, and then deal with it that way. So, again, no, there was never ever sort of. On Quite methodical venue. then. Yeah. Well, it, there was never this thing of saying, oh, this is going to be a difficult one. I'm a little bit worried about what he might do. Like you would yeah. be too. Because the thrill, again, was being able to work out how to make mm-hmm. that move stick. So, so it never, no, it never, never what? The only probably terrifying bit, I'll probably have to say this. Terrifying bit was probably, if I had a bad weekend, was going home to explain it to the wife. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that, Rebecca.
1: I really don't. <laughs> in the bad books. In the bad books, exactly. No, racing, no, nothing. You? No, nothing for me either. We're wired different, Will. We are wired different as racing drivers. Very, very. We appreciate the question, but it's, yeah. a, it's a thrill more than being terrified, mate. Not terrified whatsoever when you're behind the wheel. You, you're in your element. Yeah. Right, should we get one last question in there, mate? Go on then, you squeeze this one in from Greg. I'm thinking we go for Tom's question. Yeah, we're going to go up to Tom's question because I think it's a good one and I think it's a good one to, to end on. We've got, Tom's basically said, my son is five years old and loves F1. How do I help him become a Formula One driver? So I think, you know, if he's got a young boy, he loves his F1. I think the obvious place to start, Johnny is go-karting, isn't it? Finding a way yeah. to get him behind the wheel of a go-kart. So whatever your local yeah. track is, Tom, mate, you can find that out quite easily on the internet nowadays, taking him down there, giving him the, the seat time in, you know, just where you can arrive and drive in a go-kart, see how he gets on yeah. and just take it from there. Really? Yeah. That is the only way. Go-karting is a huge part of the journey, isn't it, mate? It absolutely.
2: It is. You know, all the, Skills that you sort of see the drivers using Formula One. Most of it is learnt through karting, and karting just teaches you so much about life in general. To be perfectly yeah. honest, but about how you set up a kart or a car. They're very, very yeah. similar. Um, and then the, the race skill, and the race skill is something that is very, you know, important when you you're going through the various formulas. Yeah, then get yourself into. Into Formula 1 So yeah Just get yourself In a cart As early as you possibly can And I You know I was Seven, eight, seven eight, Six or seven The first time I got in a cart And probably nowadays That's quite late So yeah. four to five Probably is Unbelievable With an age That you get in a cart So yeah You're five Get your son In a in a, in a cart As quickly as you can
1: Yeah That's the way to do it And then if he likes it And he takes to it then it's a, it's about finding those uh those next steps and finding a bit of budget, getting his own go kart for him, and 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 doing some British Championship circuit stuff and some club racing. It's a, it's a long journey you're getting yep. yourself in for here, Tom. It's a a real commitment of time, but you know if you're you're convinced he loves it and it's what <laughs> he wants to do, then uh, just go for it is what I'd say. Yeah,
2: I would totally agree with you. I did mention Greg with one of the questions, I'm going to quickly quickly throw it in there, and then that will be our last one. Go on. If you could change one thing about your career, what would it be?
1: Simple answer for me, nothing. <laughs> Beautiful yeah. answer.
2: Beautiful answer. I've I've got generally the same answer, which is for everything that I did, yes, I would have changed nothing. The only thing I would have changed is how I parked my car on the restart at that race in 1988 at Brands Hatch. I just wish I'd <laughs> parked it like I had in every other race that I'd ever be to Brands Hatch was actually was just to park it straight, not to be a clever clogs and park it slightly sort of up the hill, Allow thinking it anyway, yeah, going on. That's the only thing. But other than that, I'm like, yes, we've been very fortunate with the careers that we've that we've had and we've enjoyed it. We've been very lucky.
1: Yeah, well, thank you guys for another absolute load of brilliant questions there. And we'll be back next week with the build-up to the Azerbaijan Grand Prix.
2: And of course, there will be a team radio episode. So get in touch with us at Lift The Lid Pod with your
1: questions. There are no stupid questions. Nope. This is a safe space. We'll talk to you guys soon. And if you haven't heard it yet, please check out our Brands Hatch episode where Johnny Herbert explains this in more detail around his accident. We take it back to 1988 and uh, we discuss it thoroughly. So thanks again for listening and goodbye. Right. This has been a Soapbox London and SBX Studios production. Our executive producers were Rowan Wilkinson and Andy Bell. Take care.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.